Have you ever seen those coffee mugs that say like really cheesy Christian things on them? I, I'm sure you have because they're everywhere. But they, they say things on it like, not today, Satan. Or, uh, you know, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Um, or, you know, coffee gets me started, but Jesus keeps me going. Just really awful little coffee mugs that are supposed to, like, give you the warm and fuzzies. But, but it, or maybe you have a coffee mug at home that, that says something like that. Or maybe it's got your favorite Bible verse on it. You know, uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or, um, you know, these are just, these are just what, what, like, little cups of joy to get the day started, right? And, and they're terrible, but we all have them and we've all seen them. And, and we're going to make fun of those over the next several weeks where Jeremy and I just kind of point out these funny little cups, but at the same time, we're going to take some time to share with you verses that bring us a lot of hope and joy. And today, the passage that I want to share with you as one of my favorites might be a little confusing to you just because it's a passage all about doubting who Jesus is, doubting his abilities, doubting who he says he is. And a lot of us grew up in homes or in churches where doubt was a dirty word. It wasn't something that we, we were allowed or encouraged to wrestle with. It meant that you were a bad Christian if you had doubt, if you were even a Christian at all. We were taught to push it down, ignore it. Don't have doubt. But there's a part of me, and I'm going to guess there's a part of you that struggles with doubt. Doubt about all kinds of things. Things like, is any of this God stuff real? Like, did God actually create all of existence? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Can we trust the Bible? These are really difficult but really important questions, and sometimes I feel like I have more doubts than I do answers. And you know, it'd be really easy to think that that is a bad thing. But if I'm honest, doubt has played a really vital part in my spiritual growth and the growth of my faith. And maybe, maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you feel like doubt has pushed you to go deeper. Or maybe doubt is something that scares you. Maybe you feel like you have too much doubt, not enough faith, that your doubt to faith ratio is out of balance, and that makes Jesus disappointed in you or God ashamed of you. And if that's where you are today, then maybe we can work together this morning to take the teeth out of doubt a little bit, change the way we look at it, that maybe we can come to see doubt not as an enemy, but as an ally. So the passage we're going to look at today is from the book of Mark, chapter 9. And I want to set the scene for you before we get there, and this will all be up on screen in just a minute. But Jesus is coming down from a mountain that he and Peter and James and John had been up on. And and this is what they call the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's this scene where he reveals his divine nature to these three guys. 
And they're coming down from the mountain, and at the foot of the mountain, they see the rest of the disciples, but they're surrounded by this crowd of people. And their disciples are arguing with some of the Jewish lawyers, also called Pharisees. And, and Jesus is just trying to figure out what is going on here. And it's there that we're going to pick up in chapter 9, verse 17, and it says this. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, let's stop there for just a second because it would be really easy to get sidetracked and get focused on what this boy's condition is. Is it a demon? Is it epilepsy because it kind of sounds like that? Is it a demon that causes epilepsy? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that this boy needs help. And the only person that can help him is Jesus. The disciples, Jesus gave them the opportunity and the power to cast out demons, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus is a little frustrated by this, and he said, well, bring the boy to me. And when the spirit, the evil epileptic demon, sees him, it throws this boy into a convulsive fit. And that's what we're going to pick back up in verse 21. It says this, How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. This is Jesus' response. What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Now pay attention to this next verse because this is what I want to focus on today. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. This has been called the most honest prayer in history. I do believe, but... I need you to help me overcome my unbelief. And I don't know about you, but I feel that in my bones. I believe, but there are things that I, I, I want to believe, but I, I haven't gotten there yet, and I'm not sure that I do. And I don't know what to do with that. So let's talk about belief for just a minute, because I think that word is a really loaded word, and you can't talk about doubt without talking about belief. But it's a loaded word because I think belief, what we think about it, is very much a head word. And what I mean by that is you can talk yourself into believing something. You can argue about belief and evaluate belief based on logic. You can philosophize and intellectually engage with belief, and those are all good things to do. Don't get me wrong. We, we should be doing those things with our beliefs, but there's a lot about what we believe that doesn't quite fit into the logical space. And that's because when it comes to Jesus, it's not a what, it's a who. I just finished reading this really great book by a guy named Pete Enns called The Sin of Certainty. And he talks a lot about this notion of what belief is 
And he says this in his book, believing is a who word, letting go of fear and the burning impulse to act and trusting God. So when I come across that word in the Bible, I replace it with trust. And it always makes a big difference. I'm challenged to get out of my head where I'm warm and safe and feel the risk of trusting God. Believing is easy. It gives us wiggle room to think our way out of a tight spot. But trust doesn't have any wiggle room. It explodes it. Trust is about being all in. My oldest daughter, Lorelai, uh, is a worrier. And she often worries about future plans, what tomorrow will look like. She worries if we're going to live up to the commitments that we say we're going to do. And if you have a kid who's a worrier, you know how quickly they can go down the rabbit hole of fear and doubt. And as soon as they do that, there's, there's crying and there's hyperventilating and, and the, the kid's upset too. And it's just this scene of doubt that causes a lot of pain. So whenever, whenever that starts to happen with Lorelai, my wife and I, we, we've figured out how to help her. And we, we get down on her level and we take her little face in our hands. We look her in the eye and we say, do you trust me? And I wish I could tell you that her answer is, yes, Father, for I know that you are infallible and will never let me down. But that's not what she says. What she always says is, I trust you a little bit. And then she smiles and calms down because she trusts me a little bit. Our belief in Jesus doesn't need to be based solely on logic or reason. Our belief in Jesus should be equally, if not primarily, based on our relationship to him. Belief isn't necessarily relational, but trust is. Trust is earned and trust is risky because it can be broken, but it's also worth a lot more than belief. The book of James chapter 2 verse 19 says, You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Even the demons believe, but they don't have trust because they have no relationship. So let's get back to this father for just a second. He's scared and he's full of doubt and he's going down the rabbit hole of what if my son can't be helped. And Jesus is asking him, do you trust me? And his response is like my daughter's, brutally honest. I trust you a little bit. But what happens next is what should really give us a lot of hope. So starting again in verse 25, it'll be on screen, it says this, when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. The spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. 
The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Do you see what happened? The father's doubt was not an insurmountable issue to Jesus. Jesus knew this guy had his doubts. But that didn't keep him from answering this father's request. Because see, here's the thing. Jesus recognizes our humanity because he experienced it, including doubt. The night he's arrested, Jesus is in this garden and he's praying and he is full of doubt. He's praying this agonizing prayer of, Father, are you sure that this is the way it has to be. There, there's no other option of how this can go. Those are doubt-filled questions. He was full of doubt. But Jesus does not expect us to have some perfect, free-of-doubt faith in order for us to have a relationship with him. When I was preparing for this, I came across this this uh, quote in a commentary on the book of Mark on this passage. And the, the writer is this man named R.T. France. And he says this, belief and unbelief are mixed in most of us. And perhaps Mark would encourage us to notice that this common condition proved in the event to be no obstacle to his request being granted. At least he put his unbelief in the right perspective by not dwelling on it, but asking Jesus to help with it. Maybe we need to rethink doubt. Maybe doubt has been cast as the villain in the story, when in reality, doubt is more like the sidekick. Every hero needs a sidekick. And we've seen that through all of the stuff that we consume. Batman has Robin, Han Solo has Chewbacca, Sherlock Holmes has Watson. And the role of the sidekick is to ask difficult questions, to try and challenge the hero into seeing things differently. And oftentimes the, the sidekick will say something that'll knock something loose for the hero and all of a sudden things that were murky become clear because of the sidekick. And the hero, a hero's always made better because of the sidekick. So if we are able to see doubt as faith's sidekick, we can learn not only to not be afraid of doubt, but to embrace it, to see the value in it. In his book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, Rob Bell says this, doubt is often a sign that your faith has a pulse that it's alive and well and exploring and searching. Faith and doubt aren't opposites. They are, it turns out, excellent dance partners. In 2017, I went through a really tough year. My wife and I, we had just come back from the mission field, a mission field that we weren't ready to leave. I was battling some mental health issues and almost like a switch being flipped, 
I wasn't sure I believed in God anymore. I wasn't sure if I believed in Jesus. I didn't know if I trusted the Bible. And it sent me on a long journey. I had so many questions that didn't have satisfactory answers, that didn't make sense. Systems of thought, systems of thought that I had used for a long time to make sense of the world were no longer sufficient. And where I used to have faith, there was nothing left but doubt. And it was a long, difficult journey. And in some ways, it's a journey I'm still on. I read a lot of books and I read a lot of books and blogs that challenge me. I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks that make me nervous because they ask really good questions that I don't always have good answers to. And if I'm honest, I still have some of those questions that live in my head. Questions that I haven't found satisfactory answers for. I still have doubt. But through that process, and because of that process, I can without hesitation say that I learned that I needed to trust Jesus more. And I do trust him more than when I started on that journey. Not because I have the correct set of beliefs, not because of how anything I've done or the head knowledge that I've gained, but because of the relationship I have with Jesus. See, the doubt pushed me to recognize that I needed Jesus. Even if I didn't have all the answers, even if I didn't have all of my beliefs set perfectly in stone. And Jesus, in spite of my doubt, continued to prove himself trustworthy over and over and over again. See, faith isn't about having the correct list of beliefs. It's about having relational trust with Jesus. One of my all-time favorite hymns is, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. If you don't know that one, it's the one they go, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, da-da-da. It's a popular one. And that, that, like a lot of hymns, was written, uh, inspired by real personal tragedy. There was a woman named Louisa Stead, and, and the story is that Ms. Stead and her husband and their young daughter went for a picnic on a Long Island beach. And about the time they sat down and started enjoying themselves, they heard a scream for help. And they looked up and they saw there was this boy being carried away in the ocean waves. And Mr. Stead, he didn't think twice. He ran into the waters to try and rescue this boy. But like what often happens when you try to rescue someone who's drowning, this panicked boy could not be rescued and end up pulling Mr. Stead under with him. And Ms. Stead and their daughter watched from the beach as their husband and father drowned in those Atlantic waters. And like anybody who has gone through grief, Ms. Stead was consumed with anger 
and hurt and doubt. A doubt that every person in this room has had at some point, which is, if God is so good, why would he allow something like this to happen? But it was through that doubt that she found the words, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Some of us in this room or watching from home, we have some serious doubts. And if, if that is you today, I need you to hear me when I tell you that it's okay. It's okay to have doubt. Jesus can handle your doubt. He does not take it personal. But maybe what we need to do, we need to say, I believe Jesus, but I need some help with my unbelief. Let's pray together.